1 Corinthians chapter 10 and we read from verse 1 through to the end of verse 22. Let's hear together God's word. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved Flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Amen. This is God's word. Well, if you keep your Bibles open there at 1 Corinthians 10, this morning we're thinking together about verse 16. Verse 16. Uh, And we're thinking this morning together about the cup of blessing. The cup of blessing. On Friday night at our preparation service, we considered the cup of wrath. Uh, which our Lord Jesus dreaded but ultimately submitted to as he went obediently to the cross in our place for our sins. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Father, all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And we considered how that cup that Jesus dreaded was a symbol for the wrath of God upon human sin, a cup that we see throughout scripture is to be drunk by God's enemies, by those who refuse to repent of sin, by those who eventually receive God's judgment. And we considered how Christ 
uh, though sinless himself, has taken that judgment upon himself in our place. And here in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, our thoughts turn from the cup of wrath to the cup of blessing. The cup that we are going to share together shortly when we come to the Lord's table. We can only come to the Lord's table and receive this cup of blessing because Jesus has taken that cup of wrath because of what he has done on the cross. And we need to be mindful, of course, of that as we come to the table today. And so as we think today about the cup of blessing, I want to think first of all about what this cup provides. What this cup provides. The NIV translates 1 Corinthians 10, 16, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks. And the ESV reads the cup of blessing which we bless. And both of those words are good translations. They, they both bring out something of, of the meaning there. Blessing and thanksgiving. These two things are very closely tied together. The cup that sits on the Lord's table is a cup of blessing. Benefits flow to us when we take this cup. And it is a cup of thanksgiving. We have reason to be thankful when we come and take this cup together. The Lord Jesus created the sacrament of bread and wine while he and his disciples were observing the Passover meal the night before he died. Uh, And all the Gospels tell us about that. And as part of the Passover meal, there were four cups. And when the third of those cups was lifted, a benediction and a thanksgiving was declared over that cup. And so most commentators believe that it was probably at that point uh, when Jesus gave thanks after the third cup that he went on to set apart this new sacrament, which was then inaugurated through his death and resurrection. So it is a cup of blessing and it is a cup of thanksgiving. This doesn't mean, of course, that the cup that sits before us today is, has any sort of supernatural or magical properties in and of itself. It's an ordinary cup filled with ordinary wine. What we're saying is that this cup represents significant spiritual blessings, unique spiritual blessings. We're saying that if you're a Christian today, it will do your soul good to come to the table and take this cup. It won't change your bank balance. It won't strengthen weak bones or sore pains. It won't give you some sort of mental or emotional high or escape. But it will be a blessing to your soul. Because this cup reminds us that we belong to Jesus Christ. It reminds us of all that he has endured on the cross. And how what he has endured directly impacts our souls. That his precious blood cleanses us from all our sin. And one of the things that Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 10 to his readers is that this is a blessing that cannot be found or replicated anywhere else. When he mentions the cup here in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is doing it in the context, he's warning the Corinthians to flee from idolatry, to turn their back on anything or anyone else that they might be tempted to think will bring this kind of blessing into their lives. Uh, Corinth, like some of the cities we've been thinking about recently in Revelation, uh, Corinth was a city full of every type of religion and every type of idol and lots of different temples for pagan worship. It was almost unheard of in cultures like that 
that you would worship just one God. And for that one God to make all kinds of demands upon every part of your life, whether it was your, your sexual life, your financial life, how you treated your children, how you treated other members of society, that everything was dictated by your one God, that was unheard of. This was a culture in which you could worship however many gods you liked and you could do whatever you liked in the name of worshipping them. Every opinion was valid. Every lifestyle and religious practice, if it worked for you, it was worth a go. And you couldn't expect to find anything better in one place than the other. And the temptation, it seems, for the Corinthian church was to mix their Christian worship in with pagan worship. That's what Paul is talking about here in this chapter. That perhaps they would go along to a, a Christian gathering for worship at 11 o'clock. And then maybe head out to the temple of Zeus at 12 noon. And do whatever everyone else was doing in the temple of Zeus. And act as though there was as much blessing to be had there as there was at the Lord's table. But what Paul is saying here is that the Lord's Supper and the cup of the Lord's Supper provides unique blessing. He's stressing to them that the Lord's Supper is not just another good practice among many. There are blessings to be had at the Lord's table that cannot be found anywhere else. And the Corinthians were foolish to believe that they could simply mix their Christianity in with worldliness and expect one to be as beneficial to them as the other. Friends, as we come to the Lord's table today, we should come expecting to receive something here that we cannot find anywhere else. Again, not because there is anything magical about the particular cup or bread that we have today, but that in taking them, we are able to commune with Christ. We are publicly reaffirming today that we belong to him and that his righteousness is our righteousness, that his eternal inheritance is our eternal inheritance, that because of what he has done We are adopted and justified and rescued and righteously covered children of God. And nothing can change that and nothing can disrupt that. There's no football team or football tournament, no new phone or wardrobe or job upgrade in the world that can give you the blessing that Christ can give to your souls. What is symbolized on the table today to know that your sin is atoned for. To know that judgment has been diverted away from you as we were thinking on Friday night. And has been directed entirely on to someone else. To know that you have nothing to fear from death. That in fact you'll enter into a whole new realm of blessing after this life is over. All of that is symbolized for us friends in the cup. It provides blessing. And it also of course then provides a reason for thanksgiving. It is a cup of thanksgiving. The Lord's Supper is not just about what we get. It is also a place for us to give. To give our worship. To give our thanks to God our Saviour. To Jesus our Shepherd and King. What will I repay to the Lord for all his blessings to me? The psalmist says. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. In other words giving thanks. Giving praise to God for all his many blessings to us. And so this cup provides blessing and it provides thanksgiving. 
Secondly, I want to think about what this cup proclaims. What this cup proclaims. Look again at Paul's words in verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? A participation in the blood of Christ. The word there for participation in the Greek, it's it's the same word that we use to, uh, elsewhere it's translated fellowship or or simply sharing. Uh, No single English word really quite captures it. A couple of writers suggest the best way to think of it is uh, participation or communal sharing. Communal sharing. Uh, and, and as we come to the table, friends, we're declaring that the blood of Christ is exclusively shared. It's participated in by God's covenant people together. One of the things Paul is emphasizing here in 1 Corinthians 10 is that the Corinthian believers are not to think of themselves only as individual Christians, doing what suits them regardless of what might suit other people. Uh, that's again, that's, a, that's an influence from the pagan world around them that everything is just a bit of a spiritual buffet and, and you do what works for you. Paul is emphasizing to them that here that they're part of the body of Christ And that to be part of the church means that there are shared experiences and shared beliefs and shared practices to be participated in. And to emphasize this point, Paul refers back to the Old Testament and he shows how this has always been the case for God's people. Uh, He goes right back to the days of Moses. If you look at verses 6 to 13, verses 6 to 13, he says something like, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. He says that several times there. He's talking about the various failures of God's people under, under Moses. They're, they're grumbling in the desert and they're uh, bowing down to worship the golden calf and, and committing sexual sin. But as well as some of those sinful feelings of God's people, Paul also talks here about the communal blessings, the, the blessings that God's people shared in in the Old Testament. He says in verses 1 to 4, They all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses. That just means that that Moses was God's appointed leader at that time out of Egypt. And they all received spiritual food and drink in the desert, Paul says. That's the manna from heaven and the water from the rock. The point is, friends, that what God's people do, they do together. And what God's people are. They are together. And so Paul says, when you come to the Lord's table, you're not just doing something yourself. You're doing something together with all God's people participating in the blood of Christ. As Jesus instituted this sacrament the night before he died, Luke twenty-two twenty, he took the cup and said, this cup that is poured out for you, plural, is the new covenant in my blood. And of course that doesn't mean that Jesus' literal blood was in the cup. His blood was in his body and it was about to be poured out on the cross. So what does he mean when he says, this cup is my blood poured out for you? Well, we don't believe that Jesus' blood somehow comes into the cup as we take it. Jesus' blood has been shed once and for all. But rather the cup of wine is a symbol and it is an opportunity for us to remember that death on the cross and to declare, to commit ourselves to to participating 
in the life and death of Jesus. One writer says, communal participation in the blood of Christ signifies identification with Christ in his death as both the source of redemption and the pattern for life and lifestyle. Jesus' death on the cross is both our source of salvation and it is a pattern for us to follow in our own lives. And so when we drink from this cup, we're not just remembering a past event, friends. We are also publicly committing to a lifestyle that follows in the example of Jesus, that is to sacrifice ourselves where we have opportunity in whatever small ways that may be. Over and over again in the New Testament, it's emphasized to us that we are in Christ and he is in us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, behold, the new has come. We are in Christ He is in us. And so to drink from this cup is to declare, I belong to Jesus in every way. My time is for him. My worship is for him. My gifts are for him. We're saying that I, like my Savior, am willing to live a life of self-sacrifice. It's not, of course, that we need to be put to death on a cross for sins. That's something that only Jesus could do and has done and has finished. But in whatever smaller ways are open to us, we are willing to put others before ourselves. We are willing to live a life of service in obedience to God. We are willing to seek first the kingdom of God rather than to spend our lives building a little kingdom for ourselves. And so we're not just remembering the life and death of Christ today, friends, in this cup. We're also committing ourselves to living a life patterned after his ourselves. And we're doing that all together. As Christians, we share in this together. We share in his life. The life he lived is the life he lived for us. The life we should have lived but couldn't because of our sin. We share in the death that he died, the death we deserve to die, but which he has taken for us. It's not that... Christ's sacrifices need to be repeated. I just want to emphasize that. But it's that we are willing to commit to that pattern of sacrificing ourselves for others. So let me ask you today, are you a participant along with your brothers and sisters in the Lord in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? If you haven't had much time to think about your life in that way recently, this past year has necessarily involved us seeing to uh, the needs of our families and and we've been forced to to look more inward in a sense because of the lockdowns and and the the time that we've been spending in our homes more so than usual maybe you felt like you haven't had the same opportunities to serve christ or maybe you've simply had to look for new ways to serve christ uh, that you didn't have before maybe the, the voices that demand so much of your time some of them valid and legitimate representing important responsibilities, but maybe other voices are just Satan's temptations and accusations. Maybe those voices combined have drowned out the voice of your Savior as he exposes your sin or encourages you and challenges you from his word. Maybe, as can happen so often, we've slipped into a performance mentality 
Maybe we've lost sight of Christ in our day-to-day lives. Maybe we've grown distant thinking, well, I've only had a few quiet times this week or this month. God won't want to hear from me. Well, today is an opportunity to participate again in the body and blood, the life and death of our Saviour, to consider him who stooped in the garden as we thought on Friday evening, tempted beyond what you or I could have imagined, to consider him on the cross with the thorns pushing into his brow, the crowds mocking him in his ears, to consider him cry out that awful cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Today is an opportunity, friends, to participate afresh in all that Christ has done for us and his blood that cleanses and atones and acquits. And in the pouring out of Christ's blood comes the pouring out of rich spiritual blessing, the Holy Spirit ministering to our hearts, God's word impressing upon us afresh the need for spiritual fruit and godly character and perseverance and the hope of heaven. All these blessings are yours if you come by faith today and participate in this cup of thanksgiving. And they are blessings that we share together. We don't just come as individuals, we come as a family of covenant people and we participate in this memorial together and then go out and live our Christian lives patterned after Christ's life together. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? What this cup provides, what this cup proclaims, and then thirdly and finally, what this cup requires. What this cup requires. And to take of this cup, of course, friends, requires faith first and foremost. Paul is writing to the members of the church in Corinth when he says, chapter 11, verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty. He says here, he says in verse 29 that they will eat and drink judgment upon themselves. What he's saying is there's no room here for mixing this participation and at the table in with idols and religious beliefs. It can't be Jesus plus my righteousness. It's not Jesus plus being born into a certain race. Or a certain social class. It is Jesus and only Jesus. His perfect life. His sacrificial death. That our faith must be in. And so to take this cup in a a worthy manner. Is to take it confessing Christ alone as Saviour and Lord. That our trust is exclusively in him. But not only does participation in this cup require faith. It also requires commitment. Commitment. And that's the whole point Paul is making here in 1 Corinthians 10. He's shown them examples of covenant community from the Old Testament. And now he is calling them to live similarly a life of covenant community and commitment to God and one another. He's telling them you can't come to the table with divided loyalties and divided hearts. They're not to come to the Lord's table on the Lord's Day morning And then afterwards trundle into the temple of Zeus or into the theatres where there was all kinds of debauchery going on. Rather, like like a bride and her husband, the Corinthians are to be exclusive in their worship. Exclusively loyal to Christ, their Savior. Look what he says in verses 21 and 22 here. 
He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? And that last phrase there, shall we provoke the Lord to to jealousy? That's the language of covenant loyalty. Remember what God said to his people when he gave the Ten Commandments. He said, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, we have this language of of provoking God to jealousy. And God compares his relationship with his people uh, to that of a bride and a bridegroom. Uh, Isaiah 54 verse 6, he says, The Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. And so just as a wife should remain totally committed and loyal to her husband and vice versa, so here Paul is saying that taking the cup of blessing at the Lord's table, it should be part of a a declaration of exclusive commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Corinthians back then and in our world today, it's a culture that doesn't require a commitment to anything. You think of the latest piece of legislation passing through our government the last few years, no-fault divorce, making it easier than ever to end the marriage commitment. And there are all kinds of other examples in our society as well. If you, if you don't like something, if you find something's not working for you, it's fine. Commit to something else instead. There's no expectation on anyone to commit to anyone or anything. If it no longer suits, if it's not who I am, I'll try something or someone else. And it's the same in our spiritual lives. Whether people call themselves Christians or not, there is something or someone in our lives that is our functional idol, our functional saviour. Paul calls it it here idolatry. And he says we can't have hearts divided between Christ and Christ. And some idol, whether it's a, a person, a job, a hobby, uh, something, some, some passion of, of life. Many of them are very good things perhaps in themselves, but not things that are deserving of our worship. Paul says to the Corinthians, flee from such things, flee from idolatry. The word he uses there could, destru- could describe a, a fugitive, someone desperately running for their lives. Paul says that's how serious we need to be about ridding our hearts of idols and committing ourselves in worship exclusively to God. It's a blessing to be able to come freely to the Lord's table, but it requires commitment. We dare not come casually or lightly or unthinkingly, and we dare not come with a divided heart. God has called us into relationship with him First and foremost. And coming again to the Lord's table is is a good opportunity for us, friends, to to assess our commitments and where our commitments lie. Is my heart warm to God's word and to God's people and to God's worship? Or has it grown lukewarm? As we considered a few weeks ago with the church in Laodicea. Is there an overriding desire in my life for greater holiness and for putting sin to death and for exercising my faith in whatever ways are are open to me? Or am I going through the motions? 
Maybe allowing screen time to far outstrip devotional time. Maybe drifting along, perhaps even indulging idolatry of some kind. Paul says not to be participants with demons, but to be participants with Christ. And so this cup requires, friends, commitment to Christ. The word sacrament actually originates from a word meaning to take a public oath of loyalty. And that's a very fitting description of what we do here today. Those of us who come to this table, we are declaring a public oath of loyalty to our Saviour. Just as a bride and groom-to-be stand before each other and declare public oaths of loyalty. That's what we're doing when we come to the table. We're saying that more than wealth and riches, more than all the world's pleasures, more than our work or reputation or whatever it may be, we are committed to Christ. We are participating in his life, his death, his resurrection. We are living for his glory. We are waiting for his return. There was a cup of wrath for our Savior in Gethsemane. There is a cup of blessing for us today. A cup that symbolizes our sharing in Christ and with one another in his life and death. A cup that requires faith and commitment. And so as you come to this cup today, dear friend, come having examined yourself. Come expecting to be blessed. And come thankful for your precious Savior. Amen. Well, let's stand as we come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we realize that Paul, in in writing these words, flee from idolatry, do not be participants with, with idols and demons. Lord, he was not writing to people outside the church. He was writing to the church. He was writing to those who had professed faith in Christ.